listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we are a bare bones crew this week. Tom McLean and Isaac both out on assignment, given very prestigious speaking roles at the UN Climate Summit, Mm. leaving us in the dirt as we are here to represent Australia. As (laughs) As happens. <laughs> yeah, leaving us mining in the content mines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just recently set my Twitter profile to just be like slightly smeared with some memes on my face to really show that I'm a true content miner yeah. that you can vote for. <laughs> I'm aiming to have zero tweets by 2050. <laughs> but unfortunately, that wasn't enough. As representatives of the podcast working class, I think it's important that we hold up our end this week. <laughs> Would you say podcasters are part of the working class? Is this is this production that we're now owning the means to? Absolutely. 100%. Okay, good. Yep. We've seized it away from the oligarchs in radio, and here we are, baby, once a week whenever you want some random Australian political shit. Yeah! <laughs> it's Marxism. Rise up the potetariat. <laughs> I just want to say as well, was totally not expecting unintended consequence of coal mining, gas exports, and everything that's been leading into climate change. It's real humid and hard to do a pod. Yeah. Where? Man. <laughs> Where? It's humid and it's Christmas. Yeah. So I'm full of nog and potatoes and just, oh. Great way because, to start. Because <laughs> the pods must flow. The pods must flow. <laughs> I'm wearing just shorts. Let's go. Well, McLean and Isaac have been invited to the UN Climate Summit because of their contributions. Um, Australia has not been. Scott Morrison, it's very embarrassing for him. We love to see it. We love to see him embarrassed on the world stage. Even though, by extension, the entire country is embarrassed. Fuck it. We deserve it. And by we, I mean Scott Morrison. He was he was not invited to speak at the upcoming UN Climate Conference even though he'd previously said he was, and that's the beautiful thing. He said, oh, yeah, we're going to go off there and we're going to, what did he say? We're going to correct some mistruths. He originally said he was going to be going to this climate summit, which is hosted by the UK and, and the UN, to correct some mistruths. I don't know what mistruths he was hoping to correct. Probably actually make some. But <laughs> because... Why would he be? It's a summit for countries who have some level of ambition, like who are actually (laughs) committing to things. It's for the countries that try, damn it. Not only did he lie about being invited to speak, but he was like committed so much to the lie where he said like he's going to go sit down at the climate summit and say, buckle up, chuckle fucks. We're going to talk some climate mistruths. Like, what? As if if anyone in the world wants to hear anything he has to say on climate. And it's like, this wasn't even like everyone's invited. This was only actually kind of ambitious countries invited. So I think even like Canada and New Zealand didn't get an invite because although they're both doing much better than Australia, they haven't really been like, like being really ambitious about getting their targets, setting ambitious targets and, and, achieving them it's just it's it is an incredible piece of like like what's like with the the scott morrison brand of australian political (sighs) framing now where like just the like the rubes of australia who will see it and just be like yeah go on scomo fucking give him what for (laughs) correct mistruths like the mistruths being like you were shunned by the international community for saying that you'll probably use kyoto carryover credits to fudge the numbers. And he's like, ah, but now we're not. And so, like, like the idea, like, he's saying correct mistruths as if for some reason other than his actions have caused people to think that maybe Australia isn't doing their best on climate change. Like, no, 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 they are truths. You are, you, this is, this is like managerial marketing course correction. This isn't correcting mistruths. Here's the thing also, he just makes up bullshit every time he opens his mouth. So I don't really care about his exact words. I think the the interesting thing is, obviously everyone else at the UN, they're like world leaders, diplomats, all that shit. They don't buy into his marketing spin and they don't read Murdoch newspapers. So it's like his shitty Australian marketing techniques don't work on them. They know exactly what kind of piece of shit he is because they deal with pieces of shit like him every day. And Australia is a laughing stock on the world stage for multiple reasons, but especially climate. You said we had the Kyoto things, which was a joke worldwide. He said 
as if it's some kind of achievement. Oh, we're not going to be using those Kyoto credits to meet our 20, 30 pathetic targets. Um, that's not because they've gone, all right, guys, let's not use them. Let's be a bit ambitious. Just turns out the natural growth of renewables and the push by the states and the rise in industry means that we no longer kind of need them. But that's not an achievement by the federal government. The federal government has done everything in their power to prevent us having the amount of renewables that we even have. Yeah, they, they, they have worked against people who want to bring renewable energy to Australia exactly. to the point that we mentioned last week that on the international stage, our states and territories are getting props above our federal government. Yeah. Like, like pointedly, yeah. deliberately. That's how bad the Morrison cabinet yeah. is different to other ones that we we have had. Um, the other the other thing that about this as well was speaking of his you know spin that you don't care about. So Lang, you can sit this out if you want. Um, <laughs> but like he he has a quote here about how like uh, Australia's climate and energy policy would be set in Australia's national oh, uh, yeah. interest, not to get a speaking slot <laughs> at some international summit, which is just him grapes. saying after the after the fact. He's just going, I didn't want to go anyway. This is bullshit summit. Yeah, it's sucks. like a seven year old not being invited to a birthday party. <laughs> And just being like, oh, well, you're not cool anyway. I didn't want to go. Yeah. But it's the biggest dumb shit because it's like as if a climate policy is at all meaningful within a country. Like the whole point of yeah. a climate policy is we all share a global climate. Your country's emissions don't stand alone. We don't create our own climate. It is literally impossible for Australia's national interests to run counter to the global interest. Ugh. That's not how the world works. Right? Look, it's it's fu like <laughs> it's funny that you said that Lang because like I uh, like I generally believe that even when politicians appear to be dumb, they're not actually dumb. They act no. in their own self-interest. I do think that it goes underrated that Scott Morrison probably genuinely is that dumb and probably does <laughs> think that Australia's climate is its own thing. He's a very weird unit. I think when you say a thing enough, you start to believe it. Yeah. And I think the government has been saying energy prices, bloody national security, <laughs> coal exports, so much that they've started to believe that that's actually what the climate is. Kind of like how Trump thinks the climate is clean, fresh air, which it absolutely is not. It's clean, fresh air and, like, powerfully flushing toilets, according to <laughs> exactly. and, and to Morrison, it's, it's gas exports and, like, cool- Low energy prices. But it's, well, it's like, barely that. I don't even think it's that. It's more to him. I That's reckon this good, clean climate, like- um, program would just have like some really snazzy headers and like some cool logos that yeah. you could like you could you'd notice that on an app you'd notice it on a billboard you, and it's like ah that's the Morrison app like that's what he's keen on clearly I think yeah I think he sees the clean climate kind of like um, a healthy whale population that is something that will never affect him in any way and that he doesn't care about <laughs> but maybe some greenies like to look at pictures of you, you know what I read today um, so I'll put this link uh, in the notes but uh, the one piece of news that came out today is that the catastrophic bushfires that we had last summer ended up accidentally cooling the planet by a mm. minuscule amount of temperature <laughs> so in my in my head I'm just imagining Scott Morrison being like you're welcome. <laughs> I solved climate change. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we don't have to use the carryover credits because <laughs> from our bushfires, we're just going to factor that into the maths. We've lowered, our, we've, we've lowered the impact Australia makes on climate change, global warming. We've cooled the planet. Yeah. The, the charred noses of koalas and cute marsupials spreading across the planet has managed to bring it down. You're welcome, UN Climate Summit, that I didn't want to go to anyway. Scott Morrison <laughs> coming into Parliament like... Guys, guys, I've heard of this great thing. We'll fix all our problems. It's called nuclear winter. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. He's just, he just watched The Matrix again. And he's like, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know what'll you know what'll kickstart the climate? A big mushroom cloud. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, it's because it, it is the same principle, um, and that is a real thing. Is that air pollution and and smoke and stuff does create a kind of uh, like a, a shade. Uh, of sorts that does reflect a bit of heat. The, yeah, the, uh, the scientists involved in um, talking about this basically said it acted mm. in the same way as a giant volcanic eruption would work. Exactly, exactly. It does have a small cooling effect. Um, on on the whole balance of things, it's bad for the climate. So <laughs> it's certainly it's certainly not an excuse. <laughs> uh, and I don't think you can justify any amount of dead koalas by saying they'll 
provide a, a pleasant shade. Um, and, and just, it's just so warm and so grim already. <laughs> it's so grim. Sorry, we started grim. Now, and, and I just want to point out, and we, we do point it out occasionally, Australia currently has no, no fixed climate targets. We have no goals, we have no ambitions, and we have no real plan for meeting that lack of ambitions because we can't have ambitions without a plan. We, ca- we can't have a plan without targets. We can't have targets without a plan, so luckily we've got neither of those. Man, Australia just sounds like me at 25. No goals, no ambitions. Exactly. Um, but you at 25 didn't have any real sway on the world stage, and now neither does Australia. Mm. I mean, you say that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have Twitter. <laughs> but but Australia's states do have targets. Our states are, I think we have several states now that have like zero net emissions by 2050 targets. Whether or not those are realistic, whether or not we we have the political will and capacity to meet those, Having committed to a target is a really important thing. Um, Australia currently is planning for the, let's just wait and see, uh, where our emissions naturally end up. And based on the government's projections, it's looking like we'll hit zero net emissions because they are slowly coming down as renewables and things slowly rise. We'll hit zero net emissions by about the year 2300. Fuck so. it. <laughs> oh, man. Lang, damn it. That's And so that's where a lack of ambition takes you. Yeah. It's it's just, it is just that horrible thing of like the the lack of ambition but also trying to pretend that they do have ambition. That's what's mm, wearing mm. me down. That's what You're I'm right. sick of fucking hearing is like Angus Taylor getting the, you know, the five point plan for these different things he wants to do. And Scott Morrison, you know, going around, goes to the Pacific Island Forum, mm. even though he can't go to the UN one and talk a big game there. And mm. we're doing all our part. It's so much effort mm. to appear like they're making an effort. Just make the effort. This is like those Twitter threads where it's like, <laughs> instead of telling me how you're not going to tell me something, you could have just told me anything in the first place and we'd be done. It's like you are spending so much energy to not do anything. Clearly, it's because they're, it's in the financial interest of the fossil fuel companies. Yeah, but yeah. still, just lean into that. You're in power. Uh-huh. No one gives a shit. You've seen what happens with sports rorts and everything else and uh, Gladys Berejiklian. No one cares. I'm sick. Of, I'm just sick to death of fucking having to hear that they're doing something. It is an unpopular policy. Like everyone wants climate action, and and I take it back. I was misleading when I said we have a lack of ambition. That's not true. We don't just not care. We're actively working against world and national climate goals. Like like if we didn't have any government climate stance at all, if our stance on renewables and stuff was oh no sure just do what's cheap, we don't give a shit, we would be doing better. The government is, like, actively yeah. going for gas, trying to get more coal, trying to hold back, make laws against renewables. So, thank fuck we aren't powerful on the world stage. Because, yeah. like, it, it, and it, it sounds horrible that I'm, like, kind of, kind of cheering against my own team. But I hope we fucking get some sanctions put on us. I hope China <laughs> cuts off our coal imports forever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a complete lack of national pride is a good thing at this day. Complete lack of national it's, pride. It's, it's getting, it's getting real rough to try and delineate who's just <laughs> proud to be an Australian and who probably should just join the police force. So you I reckon it's pretty good. Shouldn't be proud of what our country is doing. We are actively the baddies. We are on yep. the climate stage worse than China. Not for the amount of emissions we make, but for like how much we want those emissions to be more. China has set targets. China wants to be net zero by 2060, and they are freaking hauling us towards that target. They are doing amazingly. And Australia, ugh, we suck. We suck. Also, like, it's going to rule when China stops buying any one of our, like, resources. And oh, we're going to be yeah. like, cool, That's so we have all so this th- this coal and gas. We just have it lying around and it, no one's actually using it. And we just keep on mining it. We're just going to keep on doing it because we love coal that much. <laughs> it will fuck That's up right. our economy so much. A lot of people will end up in really bad places and we could have avoided all of it. We really, really could have. 
So, welcome to Billapalooza 2020. So, what's happened this what week? Billapalooza 2020. Billapalooza 2020. I don't want to be here. I hate festivals. I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough toilets. Everyone really just wants to leave. We've taken too much ecstasy and like we're just oh, having a really Canberra. bad time. It is Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just describing Everyone's Canberra. Coked up and tired. <laughs> so, what everyone's fucking everyone they shouldn't be. So this oh, is good. this is the last sitting week for the year in Canberra. And what that means is that every single person who has had a bill on the table um is trying to ram it through as quickly as possible with as little changes as possible before the end of the year. Usually this happens for very nefarious purposes. And this week we had several bills on the table that were all trying to be rushed through the lower house for very nefarious purposes. The first of these is the cashless welfare card, which you would have- I've heard about this one. Which, which you, you may have heard about, you may have seen, you've heard talk about this. Um, <laughs> we're going to just do, start doing some We're start, starting to do a stand-up cashless set welfare just, card. just by Seen instinct. This? You heard about this? Um, so the cashless welfare card, just to give some context, um, has already- been in action in Australia for the last few years. Uh, it's current. It's, it's been in action since 2013. 2013, capacity, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Um, and of course, in in the most Not strong, exactly, yeah. in, in yeah. the most strong-willed and well-meaning way, it is of course being initially trialled in remote Australia in the Northern Territory. What could and possibly go wrong? Australia. What kind of people live in remote Northern Territory, Evie? Oh, I, I, look. I don't want to make any judgments here. Middle class white people, but look, I don't think it is. It's actually oh. impoverished Aboriginal Australians, and also in communities where there is high incidence of alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, uh, you know, a lot of social problems, as the nice uh, uh, euphemism is used, um, as an excuse to introduce INDU, which is the social wealth, the sorry, the cashless debit card. The premise of using this card is basically um, in, the, in the same way that people try to make the same excuse of not giving cash to a homeless person, which is they're just going to use it for drugs and alcohol. So let's put it on a card, which they can only use at approved uh, shopping centres, at approved um, outlets. Well, not, not, <laughs> not the money you're giving to homeless people. Uh, <laughs> giving them a little credit card no. from the post office. Yes. Welfare recipients. Yes. Centrelink. Yeah. That's what essentially right. happens is you get yeah, you get this card and eighty percent of your Centrelink pay gets locked onto the card and you can only use it at places that accept the card and then That's you get twenty percent right. of your own yeah, yeah fungible it, stuff. Like for for a normal person, it seems like a very patronizing thing to do, of course. It's absolutely and and this is it's the kind of we can't trust you to spend this money. If we give you this money, you'll just spend it on drugs. Or whatever. This is the same excuse that, like you said, people have been using for not giving money to people in general in any way. And it has been proved repeatedly to be false. Like, if you give poor people money, they will spend most of that money on the things they need to live. Because they have nothing. Um, and if you give them more money, they'll spend it on things to actually improve their quality of life and, and to help them get a leg up out of poverty. You're making it yeah. harder for them to do that here. People in poverty have the sole problem of being in poverty. Mm. I mean, they may well have several problems, but that's the big one. But that's, yeah. not, but that's not the problem of someone in poverty. You can also have like people with drug addictions and gambling addictions in the upper echelons of society looking <laughs> at you, the Liberal Party. Like, that's it, it, the only problem that impoverished people have mm. is that they are impoverished. Mm. And it turns out every single time they try to do studies on this, it shows that all they just need is the money to survive and to get a leg up and to you know live above the poverty line for a while. Because then, and then they get out of poverty. And just to give, like, just again, uh, some more context to the introduction of this bill. So, as I said, the trial's been going on in um, the Northern Territory for some time now, and the scheme has cost the government eighty million dollars um, since, like, about twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen. And the government's own research has shown that the card mm. has not only like underwhelming support, but it doesn't work. It simply yeah, doesn't work to solve these social issues that they that they think it would solve. They've done inquiries into this card in 2015, 2017, 2018, twice in 2019, and once this year. They have done so many inquiries into this, and they're still testing it. They're rolling it out and saying, this is a test. This is a trial. How fucking long do you need to trial this thing? You've had at least six 
separate <laughs> inquiries into it. You've been testing for five years all over yeah. the country. Does it work? Well, no. that's why they need to. That, well, no, that's why they need to keep testing. They need to test for as long as it takes until they get the result they want, and then <laughs> the tests can conclude and they can roll it out nationwide. So the nature of this bill is basically to introduce it to the wider community. They've decided, well, we've done all our research, we've done many, many surveys, we've heard multiple times that it doesn't work, we've done all these working groups, let's roll it out to everyone. Hmm. It seems like a logical course of events. And the people in Canberra, the people running the government, just went full mask off and it was hmm. a really good test to see yeah. like who is barely good, who is real good, who is still a piece of shit. I mean, the, the results won't surprise you. This isn't <laughs> this isn't crazy. But this is the main thing I wanted to focus on, at least, to do with the cashless welfare card. Is like, it is racist. It's the overwhelming majority of people on it are Indigenous Australians, and they're not giving them any support. They're making it harder for them to use what little resources they have. It is patronising, because you shouldn't do that to human beings. Adults, can they don't need to have their money quarantined like that it's a the, the card itself is a just it's it's dog shit and if you think about it for more than five minutes you'll be like oh yeah no it's it's total dog shit but the fucking people in parliament they just like because you know it's hot and humid here right now and everything's a bit feeling a bit sluggish i think the same thing happened in canberra because they just went fucking they just they, went ape shit. They didn't even try. Pauline Hansen had the gall to stay. Pauline Hansen, a <laughs> lifetime politician what who's she paid say? by the taxpayer, has said that people on welfare have lost their rights anyway, so they shouldn't worry about the cashless card. Her, her quote is... It's not about talking about a person's rights. When you go on this card, you basically lose your rights as well. If you, if you, go, on, if you go on a welfare system... You've lost your rights. You have a responsibility to the taxpayer of this nation. The thing with Pauline Hanson is that she says, as to, as the phrase goes, she says the quiet part out loud. She says mm. a, a lot of the time, you know, she uses it as a as a catchphrase of like, you know, that she says what people are thinking. But it's true, like you know, in people's worst uncharitable thoughts. This is what they think about welfare. They think, well, you know, you're accepting a handout, therefore, you know, you don't get to decide how this is distributed to you. It's horrible. It's like the it's like the basic it goes against your very basic instinct of helping people. Like if you were to give money to a friend in need and then you, you know, pass judgment about how they choose to use that money. That well, like it's, yeah, it's exactly much, the same if thing. If someone's if someone's poor, they must deserve it. It's that it's that same thinking. Yeah. But then also this idea that like they've suddenly lost their rights as humans. They've lost their human rights yeah. to safety and security. It's disgusting. But this is the mechanism we have to secure those rights. Yeah, she's like, li she's literally dehumanizing most... by saying that. It's but it, but genuinely, that is the that is absolutely fucking aberrant for any person to say that human rights are conditional means that she does not think some people are worthy of the status of human yeah. and deserving of dignity of that status. And again, I'll I'll point you to the demographics of who's on the card. Mm. Like she just went full mask off racist with it. Yeah, it's All just right, it's right. fucking incredible. So Pauline Hansen is a huge racist. That's nothing very surprising. But it's interesting seeing where some of the other senators come down on it because it's it's very much a kind of a right wingy kind of thing. You got the left wing who are kind of against it, uh, the 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 far left wing who are very much against it, and then you got the kind of centre who keep letting us down because they're not really very central at all. So independent We're senator, talk about that. <laughs> independent senator Rex Patrick was was kind of dilly dallying on a while, but this is a really revealing bit. He proposed an amendment. That would protect pensioners and veterans, <laughs> where it was like, oh yeah, look. Um, so obviously we've got to have this card to make sure that people spend their money wisely and don't get taken advantage of and can't be on drugs or alcohol or gambling and crime and stuff like that. Um, and it's very good for people and it will help them out. But maybe we shouldn't do it to pensioners or veterans because those are. Let's be honest here, they're middle-class white people, often. That's, they're, they're the, the right-wing government's kind of in-group that they say are good people. And if we're seen to be punishing pensioners and veterans, well, that's not going to look good for the people who vote for us. Also, infamously, pensioners and veterans not taking drugs or gambling at all. Right? And that's <laughs> the thing, if this is a card that's helping people on welfare, why 
why wouldn't it be helpful for pensioners and veterans? Oh, and it, but it said, but they could be put on it, you know, if if they were like there was a crime or, or they were yeah. recommended by by healthcare and stuff. It's it's crazy. It is a punishment. That's what I was going to say. It is it it was revealing that it's a punitive measure that they just haven't mm. talked about it like that. What they're hoping to do is grab just enough of the racist vote in this country mm-hmm. to be like, oh look, we're stopping these bloody lazy layabouts getting a handout. And mm. so it's like, oh, but what if we accidentally get pensioners and and, and ex soldiers? And instead of the, just the next line being like, oh, well, yeah, clearly it won't help anyone then. It's like, mm. oh, yeah, good idea. Like, we, we could try that. Let's narrow it down. It really would have been much easier for people if we could do what we did in Australia a couple hundred years ago and just say, oh, this is just for black people. Yeah. That would save them so much time. Yeah. Uh, because that's what they want. Especially because you can see that it is being the, the sites that they're trialling are places that are very heavily indigenous. Northern Territory, parts of Cape York various remote communities. They're not trying this in, in I don't know, the Melbourne CBD or the inner north or areas of, of Sydney where people they're, are They're not They're not trialling it in Tony Abbott's electorate or no, for, a no. former Tony Abbott's former electorate. Um, they're trialling it in places. They're not trialling it on members of government to make sure they don't spend too much money on helicopters and cocaine, even though that is a huge hit <laughs> to the taxpayer's <laughs> pocket. And so speaking of, like, um, MPs who have come forward to talk about it, one big surprise for me uh, is Jackie Lambie, who previous- Getting it. Yeah. And well, I mean, so the, not only did she get it right this time, in her statement, in when she um, she put out a statement basically saying, um, I'm not going to support this bill. And mm. she actually conceded that she had made a mistake in the first instance. She actually had supported um, the Inju card. Uh, so, you know, she's not 100% great, obviously, um, but- she did take consultation with the wider community. She invited mm. it. She spoke to people. And that is something, look, I'm not still not 100% on board with Jackie Lambie. Like, obviously, we disagree quite politically on quite a lot. But one thing I do respect is that she actually does do what you would expect of an MP, which is consult with the wider community. She's literally doing the base mm. level of her job. So- this is this is the interesting point about Jackie Lambie. Like in in, I'll read directly from her statement. Um, she says, like you know, I'm out. I'm not doing it. Washing my hands of it. Quote: I don't do it lightly. Which is backing out of it. Hmm. I've backed this for years. I've seen the promise, the potential of this policy. Hmm. I've visited all the trial sites. I've spoken with people for and against this policy. I've got my hands dirty with this policy and I've tried to make a success. But what I've learned over these years is that the success of this card is completely dependent on what's supporting the card. Hmm. So she's still a bit off in the the idea that if the really good social services were supporting the rollout of mm. this card, she would be for it, which is, you know, that's fucked. But if it results in a in a senator voting against it now, then maybe we can continue to, well, to turn yeah. her. But he, here's the thing, is that Jackie Lambie continues this, like, streak of hers where she just votes in ways that, you know, not good good enough endorse, I guess, on, like, extremely um, progressive votes hmm. that she keeps handing out after consulting with the public. It's a really interesting thing that she consults with members of the public and then votes progressively because a huge thing that we've heard about for ages hmm. in Australian politics is that the vast majority of politicians are way more conservative than the general population. And what you're seeing is an ex-military, former, maybe still racist senator just going like, hey, guys, what do we think? And the public being like, fuck no, we're actually heavily progressive. And she goes, mm. all right, no, nah, good point, and votes with it. And it's it, it's really highlighting the fact that our political class and our politicians are entirely out of step with the population they're supposed to be supporting. Like, this is why we need new blood coming through. It's why we need to support new independents and Greens and Victorian socialists and all those sort of parties. Because the establishment, both Labor and Liberal, are just... They do not represent us at all. They are detached. It's not just the representation, though. Um, The ability to, um, you know, consult independently with your community and get a general Mm. understanding, that is Mm. so much more valuable than, say, being in the Labor Party where you still have to go with the majority because that's how it works. Otherwise, you know, you have to resign and go to the backbench. Yeah. I think Jackie Lambie is – she's good and she's interesting because she – she actually represents people that are not just the political class. 
Yeah. Jackie Lambie is not part of the political class, or at least she didn't come from there. Um, yeah. And she's still trying to do things to represent a broader community. And yeah, she's not super woke, but she she wants to do the right thing. And when she has an idea of what that right thing is, she does it. Um, and and I just want to read like she she made this quite good statement, and we'll we'll link it in the notes. Um, because she goes into what you said, where she's like. Uh, I see the intentions of this card and I backed it for a while. And yeah, I understand we want to help drug addicts not buy drugs or whatever. But she makes these excellent points like it's not the drugs that make them feel hopeless. It's the hopelessness that pushes them to drugs. You know, you can't get someone off drugs without fixing their situation. And she says at the end, um, this card is a stick. You're not giving them a carrot. You're just hitting them. I didn't sign up to that, which is absolutely a great way to put it. The government just... Likes hitting people. Yeah. They say they want this card to help people, but they clearly don't give a shit because if they wanted to help people, they would have the other things around the card. They just want to hit people. I, I realise, like, you know, we are being quite generous to Jackie Lambie as a whole, but it's the capacity to learn and understand and change <laughs> your policies as, like, as you learn more information, which is something that I think that a lot of, like, politicians might actually be allergic to because it never actually happens. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Jackie Lambie openly... And, you know, visibly has said, you know, I've changed. I've changed my opinion of this because I've got more evidence and understanding of it and now I know that it's harmful. And, you know, like her support wasn't like great in the first place, but now that she understands it doesn't work. I'm just going to take her on a case-by-case basis. When she does a good thing, she's done a good thing. When she does a bad thing, she's done a bad thing. Um, A lot of politicians constantly do bad things. And the fact that she's consulting with the wider community means that she's doing some good things at the moment. So if she keeps that up, that's good. Good on it. Some politicians, though, that don't actually need to change their tune because they're fucking spot on all the time. (laughs) She wasn't leaving. She's the fucking best. Uh, Green Senator Rachel Seawert just went so fucking hard the entire time this was in the Senate. Just like, she just said exactly what we've all, we, what we just said. She just screamed it into the Senate, that it's punitive, that it's racist. Uh, we'll get to what actually happened the the night of, but then she called out Senator Alliance um, that just just Sen- called them. Um, oh, sorry, Sen- yeah, Senator Alliance. Um She just called them cowards. And for those people listening to this debate, and I know there's many of them, we could have ended this five minutes ago with that vote. Central Alliance didn't even have the guts to come in here and vote with the government. They just did not turn up. And it's just like, it's so good to have someone in the Senate just call someone else a coward, yeah. just, just a loser. It's like, returning to the, cowards. you know what it is? It's returning to the old Australian parliamentary <laughs> tradition, which is where you just call a spade a spade. Like, I, right. I, I, I welcome that. Or you that. call a spade a dog cunt. <laughs> so, you know, we, we know the way the Greens were always going to vote, but it was, it was just really good to see Rachel Seawert not try to temper it. Like just fucking go knives out with it. It was it was amazing. Um, so what I was alluding to though was that this uh, debate in the Senate got really contentious to the point where they made it a sitting issue up until midnight. Mm. At which point a final vote would have to be taken, no matter what, mm. and it would just go through. Mm. That's how fucking intense this whole thing got. They just had to push something out. And it was really neck and neck, wasn't it? Well, that was the thing, is that there were like five or six... This is the problem that we have in Australia at the moment, is that the Senate is essentially... The power brokers in the Senate are just like these random... Like like Jackie Lambie or Rex mm. Patrick, these independents, or people from the party called Centre Alliance, mm. who, if you remember Nick Xenophon and the Nick Xenophon team, he mm. was a South Australian guy who was just against pokies which is a good position. And he was so against pokies, he just got into federal parliament and was like, ah, pokies. <laughs> he was just so good at that that an entire party sort of formed around him and he left. And now we're left with this fucking party called Centre Alliance, mm. who y- you alluded to it earlier, Lang. You'll be surprised to hear that Centre Alliance are a right-wing party made up mostly of former liberal staffers, members, uh, liberal party people. Um, it's a little bit of vote laundering for people who don't want to vote liberal and go, oh, we're centre. Mm, okay. well, this is the, this is the thing is that if you call yourself centre alliance, you can position yourself happily between the Liberal Party and the Labor Party, which means you're just right wing. <laughs> Be- 
because the Liberal Party and the Labor Party are right-wing parties. One's just slightly less right-wing in oh their rhetoric. And but you can, you can wedge it. And so what the Centre Alliance are doing is essentially giving a position for the shit media in our country, like the Murdoch Press, Sky News, Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, all of those fucking ghouls, to go well. The extreme leftists in the Labor Party aren't mm. taking the position that Centre Alliance is. And the big brain Centre Alliance, those bastions of like you know bipartisanship, oh, they're just voting with the Liberal Party. I guess the Liberal Party are really good. <laughs> we can show both sides, far right and centre right. <laughs> so, so Centre Alliance um, have good policies, again, on you know gambling. They've called for action on climate change because they're not just like you know utterly insane or you know in the they don't get enough donations from it yeah essentially yeah they're not big enough to get lobbyists coming knocking (laughs) on their door but for the longest time these guys were against the cashless welfare card they were making imputations that they wouldn't be voting for it at all and oh and i can't say for sure but i don't think we like it and these motherfuckers on the night that the bill was supposed to be voted for that got pushed out until that midnight final vote sterling griff from the fucking Centre Alliance, didn't show up for the final vote. Coward. He he just left. He abstained from the vote and yeah. didn't give his voice to it, which is – that is so hollow yeah. and cowardly. At least vote. If, because if you know that you are a deciding vote, mm. then not voting for it, you know how that's going to affect it. Like, it's not a mistake. He didn't he, – he doesn't – he didn't wake up and was shocked by the news. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like when the gay marriage vote was passed in the lower house and there was like this there was footage of Tony Abbott and a couple of other MPs just running piss bolting for the doors because they didn't yeah. want to vote for it. It's like just the absolute coward's way out of like, you yeah. know, okay, I know I'm gonna be held accountable for my decision here. So I'm just not gonna appear. Yeah, yeah, we should specify he didn't just not happen to be in that day. He actively left and and oh, yeah. chose not to vote. Yeah. He was there through the day and then for the final vote late at night. He just he just didn't show up for it. Yeah. And 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 like and just for the absolute like childish cowardliness of the whole thing. The next day there were reports coming out that he turned off his phone, locked his office and even closed the bu- the blinds of his office. Just to practice some self-care me time or some God. shit. Like, <laughs> just he hid because he fucking knew what he did. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, we have to like, uh, I feel it like we, we, we've we missed a part of this though. Um, the <laughs> bill that ended up going through, it actually was amended. So it actually hasn't been introduced for everyone now. I feel like this is important to actually mm. clarify mm. this. Yeah, where did we end up? Yeah, so, so the, bill, the bill was originally to um, extend the scheme to everyone. However, the amendment did sort of get made to the bill. So now the what's happened is that it's extending the trial for another two years in regional communities. So we're another two years of like, you know, doing useless tests to see whether it's working or not and it's still not going to be working. So we've kicked the can down a road for another two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically. We, yeah. All that has been – and the trial is the cut. Like the people who are in the trial – were not able to choose to be in the trial. They didn't have the option to be in the trial or not. They were mandatorily put on this card. And although there was meant to be the option to get off it, in in practice, no one's... I think maybe a few people have been able to escape the card, but mostly only because, I don't know, they went to jail or they had some health issue or, like... There was there was something happened that made them go off the card. Their circumstances changed for why they were getting welfare. Right, but they weren't able to actually go, I'd rather not be on this card, which they were meant to be able to do. So the trial was extended, which, you know, like you said, that's just more of the same shit. It's just, you know, fewer than the amount of people that they wanted to put on it are going to be mm. on it next year. And um, uh, drum roll for which major party fucked up a response or a... Uh, we, we, they fucked up the uh, public, the press release that they could make about this. Labour fucked up yet again in their response to this. Um, after this came out that the trial was going to be extended, so, you know, no one really won, everyone lost. The Labour Social Services spokeswoman came out and said, there's been enormous wins and the massive back down. But overall, this card is punitive. 
And Labor's position has been crystal clear on this from the very beginning. <laughs> do, do you guys want to guess what, what that position might be? What's and that how crystal it, clear you imagine. think this position might be? Is it the kind of position that a bucket of water has? Fuck me dead. <laughs> these, are the, these are just the most mind-bending two sentences to put together. Their position on this has been crystal clear from the very beginning. We are not per se against the card. We're against mandatory income management. Mm-hmm. Is the what card the- mandatory income management? Yes, I it is. <laughs> I am. Please, I want the Labor Party to close out 2020 on just taking one principled position on one thing, even if it's evil. Now. Even a bad sorry, sorry to be sorry to be a lib. Even just. Sorry to be a lib for like five seconds, but like, um, like just hearing that kind of statement makes me feel like I'm watching a particularly like cruel episode of Veep, where like where you can just see, you can see the cogs turning of how like they've realised, oh man, we fucked up. How are we gonna spin this? I know. Let's just use a euphemism for describing it. It's like, oh my. God, like my, I, I know, I know how the is sausage melting. is made. I know, mm. I understand that they're going to like think of it an extremely cruel and like you know disingenuous way to excuse why they've acted the way they do. But it still doesn't make it easier when they say it, and it, it still is- just makes me want to die. Like. My favourite part here, and the part that shows that these are not amateurs, we are in the presence of a master of the centrist art, is that they said. They didn't say, we're not against the card. They said, we're not per se against the card. So they couldn't even, they couldn't even do a nothing negative statement in isolation. They had to qualify that nothing negative statement to say, well, we're not entirely not against it. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're a bit kind of not against it, but per se, like, mm, I don't want I just, people getting any meaning they're, out of it. They're sitting, they're sitting on the fence so hard, like, that the spike has gone right up their asses and in their nose. Like, I, I, it's, it's nothing. Yeah. I, like, I, like I, wa- I want them to come out and say, like, we are, we are for a police state. Hmm. Something. Like I just, I need something to hold on to because at the moment the opposition party in this country is just this like swirling amorphous blob that doesn't even sit still. Yeah. Like I can't even pin it to something weak. They're just like, why do you have to have that position <laughs> up in the air? Why you know do you is? have to leave yourself some political wiggle room to maybe later on support a cashless welfare card? You know what it is? I think they're gaslighting us. That is standard gaslighting. Because if you say, I'm bad, we're going to be like, oh, you're bad. We're going to break up with you. <laughs> if you say you're good and then do a bad thing, we're like, oh, you lied. But if you don't really say anything and every one of your statements can be taken both ways and it does what is happening to you right now, Mitch, which is it breaks your brain and your sense of reality. And <laughs> and you just wish at some point they do something just bad or say something bad so you can be like, you're bad. But they won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want the evidence. Yeah, I, my my brain's my brain's melted out of my nose. I don't, mm. I don't know. They've broken me properly. I'm 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 good to vote liberal now. I guess <laughs> nothing, nothing matters in politics anymore. I guess they're both bad. Yeah, they are <laughs> both sides just as bad. Look, we're clearly not going to have time to cover every single insane thing that has been uh, attempted to ram through Parliament this week. But um, oh yeah, we just did one. We we've one just done one. This is going to be Bill of Pollution. Yeah. Okay. okay. So here's the second one. Um, I feel like this one didn't get as much coverage purely because there's a lot of technical detail involved. That I mean, even we can't really go that much into detail with it. So we'll we'll point you towards some uh, reporting on it. But uh, I feel like it's important that we talk about it. Um, this has been in discussion for some time, but Peter Dutton has uh, for the last six months, wanted to pass some new ASIO powers. It, it, the bill involves interrogation powers. It also involves um, extra powers of warrant um, and also um, the kind of consequences 
that can be um, implemented for people who don't comply with certain ASIO directives. So there's a lot going on in this, uh, and it's unsurprising that uh, Peter Dutton, on behalf of uh, the Home Office or Border Force, uh, would want to push it through. Okay, so what exactly is the bill doing? It's just giving them a lot more powers to there's interrogate lots, and so, arrest. Correct. To start off with, the thing that's gotten the most attention is that they are decreasing the age of interrogation. So the bill would allow children as young as 14 to be interrogated by government agents. I just also like the idea that like decreasing the age of interrogation overall. So now you can also have 14-year-old ASIO agents. It's just these kids <laughs> in these like oversized coats <laughs> slamming a phone book on the counter. Like, I don't even know what this is. I'm too young for this reference. I'm going to delete your Fortnite character right now and listen to this. <laughs> and the crazy thing about this is that Peter Dutton has put this um, giant bill forward on like and vaguely like he knows that QAnon is really popular at the moment. He knows that there's a, like a lot of moral panic about pedophiles and child abuse and trafficking and that sort of thing. Um, that he knows what the sentiment is in terms of like right wing scare tactics. And his sort of premise for putting this bill forward is to say it will stop uh, child trafficking it will stop abuse and so therefore we need to we need to interview kids as young as 14 uh, as a result it's stopping child abuse and child trafficking by allowing children to be interrogated by government agents. yes cool, that is cool. the logic that we're going with here do we know what that means does that mean interrogated like without a lawyer or a parent no no, no no you're allowed to still have um people with you um but okay. the, the at, in the, the fact past. that they can interrogate you at all. Yes, that's right. Because you're a minor. Okay. Correct. That's so uh, iffy. So there's there's other things to it too. Um, there's also the, it could see journalists. Well, it's it, like, the example used is journalists, but um, it could see people uh, be jailed for up to five years for refusing refusing to reveal sources. So basically, it's yeah. it's consequences for whistleblowers. Yeah, and so basically. It- it sounds like we've just got a whole lot of powers that are just being pushed through and they're the kind of powers that should be really thought about a lot. Absolutely. There, there have been working groups um, for the last few months to sort of discern, A, what distill what kind of powers are involved that they would like to increase and also the consequences of it. Um, the bill was actually introduced in May into the lower house um, and has been mm-hmm. debated quite a bit since. Um, the Labor Party... Um, basically said that they only wanted to allow the bill to be passed with a safeguard, which required that ASIO obtain a judge's approval before compulsory interrogations. Oh, God I remember that. <laughs> so, like, it's it's like... Yes. Okay. So, Labor basically said, look, the causes are bad, but we think, like, that the implementation is actually very good. We just want this little qualifier. I mean, I can kind of... Where they say we want a judge to approve it so that the the... Border force just can't run wild interrogating 14 year olds. Um, Okay. I should point out, of course, that this amendment failed and then Labor waived it through anyway, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Which is why the amendment failed because everyone went, we'll get to that. Are you going to waive it through anyway? Yeah. All right. And now, so here's um, the meat that I really uh, find interesting about this bill, uh, which is that there's a lot of further powers uh, regarding spying and account takeovers. Now, this is something I feel it's not talked about enough, but I think is very scary in terms of what ASIO could eventually do with these powers. So, let's just talk about it in brief. Um, So, there's data disruption warrants, which would enable the AFP to disrupt data by modifying, adding, copying, or deleting in order to frustrate the commission of serious offences online. Basically, it's saying that ASIO could modify already existing data to uh, try and um, stop a crime from happening. So, and and what that means on the internet is they can do whatever they want. Yes, right? essentially. Because okay. um, modifying, also, adding, copying or deleting data is like, doing anything on the internet. Yeah, yeah they like can, jumping into your Facebook and then changing the date and time of the criminal meetup event you've uh, made. It's interesting that you say that. So, I'm getting to this. So, and then the second thing is network activity warrants, which allows them to collect intelligence on serious criminal activity being conducted by criminal networks mm-hmm. and account takeover warrants, which lets the AFP take control of a person's online account and can be combined with other warrants to gather further evidence to further a criminal investigation. So basically, that's allowing the the AFP 
to take over any one of your social accounts in order to further investigate possible uh, crimes taking place. So, think about it this way. You could be on Twitter having a great time, you know, shit posting to your heart's content, and <laughs> and your your friend Marksbong69 <laughs> suddenly starts, like, asking you questions all of a sudden. Yeah. And you're like... Starts asking about where you can get some, like, very properly spelled drugs. Yeah. Like, like he's uh, very formal with his terms. They're like, hey, dude, where do you reckon I could get some molly? Like, and... <laughs> And you're like, who are you? Um, So, yeah, the the premise is basically it's like um, in in the same way that uh, environmental groups have been infiltrated for decades, which is they can take over an account in order to simulate, you know, a a person and get more information. That's scary. (laughs) That's terrifying. Like it's not even just like pretending to be inside like a group. It's like literally taking over people's profiles in order to pretend to be part of the group and get more information. These are very far-ranging powers. There's probably a lot in there as well about like the silence and secrecy that it would go in, like would go into that as well. Like you also can't tell anyone if that's happened to you. There's, you know, well, there's whistleblower the laws now. You can't even that- tell a journalist. <laughs> um, hang on, and correct me if I'm wrong. So it says that. They can collect intelligence on criminal activity being conducted by criminal networks. Now, who decides what is criminal activity exactly. in criminal networks? Is it this department doing the uh, intelligence collecting? I'm assuming it is, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, technically speaking, so, no. So, no. who decides what's criminal is the politicians because they create the legislature that becomes <laughs> law. And then it's just enforced by the AFP. I mean, now, case by member, case. No, yeah. no, no, but that, well, that, well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying, Lang, is that it's really important and, and we're really lucky that our AFP and our, like, federal government are very much not working together on things like raiding the offices of journalists mm. about war crime investigations. Uh, that is all they do, yes. So, <laughs> that's the thing. 100% that's what they'll say. So, uh, a lot of the time when people talk about uh, privacy, free speech, uh, the right to speak freely on the internet, they talk about a thing called the chilling effect, the, the chilling effect is basically um, when legislature or policies by governments um, have a chilling effect on people's freedoms. Now, what that means is basically it's restricting them. So, it, it's restricting, A, your right to speak freely, uh, the right to communicate freely, um, and also um, your understanding that what you say is private. Mm. And and, yeah. and like the understanding that who you're talking to is who you think you're talking to and not a Fed. Yeah. And if we've learned anything in the past decade, it's that friggin' every large powerful body is incredibly corrupt, will do anything to protect that corruption. And the only thing that generally tends to take that down is whistleblowers and sort of group... Uh, what do you what do you call it? like people's movements? And yeah. this is exactly the kind of thing that is being endangered by this. Yeah, and, and it it does trouble me that you know as much as like you know there have been many insane bills that have been pushed through this week. Um, it does trouble me that because of the technical involvement in this bill and the amount of powers that are involved and also just the general idea that people don't really understand people don't understand the the right to your privacy um they don't understand that it it affects everyone and it's not just about criminals and this is entirely just a, a social sort of conditioning um in which people think well it doesn't really matter if what you know the the government sees what i do anyway because i'm not doing anything wrong but what they forget is that what you're doing wrong, quote unquote, is decided by government policy. So if what you're thinking, if what you're doing, you think, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm just you know talking with my friends, we're just organising things. It's it's nothing mm. wrong. But the government then can decide at any point what they think is wrong. Mm. And it's important also, like th- these powers would be excessive and are excessive, um, regardless of context. But the context here is that this is Peter Dutton, who (laughs) is on record being really weird and shitty about the left. Like, he calls Adam Bant, leader of the Greens, an enemy of the state. Yes, that's... Oh, man. So, uh, Adam Bant spoke out about this policy and was subsequently called by Peter Dutton the enemy of the state. 
What does that mean? And when you're the leader, when you're the leader of Australia's secret police, it's pretty clear what that means. <laughs> we would lock you in a room and forget about you if we could. Um, but this is the same Peter Dutton who repeatedly downplays and refuses to engage with the risk of far right extremism. Yeah. Like, which is which is repeatedly brought up by analysts saying this is a big issue. This is the biggest threat. It's far right extremists, and he goes ah. Ah, but what about far-left extremists? We should be looking at them as well. Yeah. That's not really a thing. You need to understand that these policies are being introduced to control dissent. It's not about controlling any terrorism or any real risk or threats to people in this country. It's all about, like, understanding what dissent is against government policy. You know, the policies that are in place right now uh, for the AFP could have legitimately stopped uh, the Christchurch shooter. And as we found out this week um, after the uh, Royal Commission in New Zealand, uh, there are, there were many things, there are many steps along the way that could have stopped the shooter that if the AFP had thought to investigate, you know, known groups and known entities, um, known points of radicalisation, that there already exists all the laws that could have stopped this. You know, they don't need extra powers. The extra powers are purely in there to exercise control over who they see as their ideological enemies. And are constantly, like, you know, we've seen this. I mean, this has existed forever, but particularly in Australia, we've seen an increase in these kind of powers since 9-11. Um, and, you know, these have been blamed on various sort of threats, you know, uh, you know, terrorists that could be threatening to blow up Australia, uh, um, people who've been radicalised by ISIS. It's always one thing or another. Um, you know, you pick and choose your, your uh, invisible enemy as you see fit for the time. But the weird thing is, there is no invisible enemy at the moment. In fact, there is a very real presence, which is far-right radicalism, and none of these laws will actively do anything to stop that. However, these laws will be really good at clamping down on climate activists. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Or journalists leaking stuff from inside banks. Yes. Now, so here's the other thing. There was legal advice um, published about this before um, the bill was debated this week uh, and then subsequently passed in government. Uh, and the legal advice uh, basically said that there is a chilling effect on the willingness of people to speak to journalists about issues of political significance, including security matters and foreign relations. There's no exception or exclusion provided for in the bill that would enable a journalist to refuse to answer a question on the basis that it would refuse a source. So the only people that are being penalised by this bill are people who are seeking to do right and to seek justice. And, and can I guess that that legal advice was received and ignored? Correct. And now the bill no, will be before the Senate in the new year. Thanks, Labor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got one more submission for Bill Lapalooza 2020. Uh, hey, headliner. This is another big and complicated one. Uh, once again, it just shocks me that <laughs> there, there's no Don't way. Don't turn off the podcast. Don't turn off the podcast. We'll, we'll sum it <laughs> there's up. There's no way that any of the MPs involved in the decision-making here could discuss this in any detail within one week. Mm. This, this is a problem with this end-of-year rush is that they always just do this. It's like, you're not reading this. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, out. people are making concessions. Well, this is like favours between parties at this point. It's not yeah. real. Yeah, that's right. So the biggest part of this bill uh, is that the legislation will enable parts of the CFMEU and other large unions to disassemble. Is that bad? Conceivably, it could be bad or good depending on what um, it, the ways in which those unions are aligned. Uh, generally, I feel like passing laws about unions are, are not a good thing anyway. Like, unions shouldn't be regulated by the government. Yeah, but it sounds like this is removing regulation. What this, what this bill is essentially doing is that after, as it stands right now, it's extremely hard for a giant union like the CFMMEU to break up. They are made up of all these different parts like the, the the letters actually stand for different things um like you know industry or like uh, forestry energy construction blah 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 and so they they cover different trades and as it stands right now after a five-year period it's extremely hard for a union to break up mm -hmm. and what they want to do with part of this bill is just make it you know you can you can start to if enough union members want to break apart and form their own thing then you can do that and as you said you should be really worried when the Liberal Party are championing this, when when heads of different departments of unions are making deals with uh, Industrial Relations Minister Christian Porter of the mm. Liberal Party. When he's okay with it, you do really need to stop and think about 
you know, why this might be happening. Yes. Now, if you know the name uh, John Sector, um, he was the head of the CFMEU. He's a piece of shit and he has caused a whole lot of rifts in that giant union at the moment, which has caused a lot of infighting and whatnot. And I, I'm all, I am in two minds about this sort of thing because on the one hand, if the workers want to break off and form their own union because the union's not doing right by them, I am for that. I'm part of the NTEU and the fucking you the the members of that union had to tell the bosses what to do at a certain point but breaking up something like the CFMEU now mm. before we have uh, like cross trade strike ability is a really worrying thing absolutely like, i am f- i am for eventually you big unions being able to break up but we really really need to secure better workers rights and better union powers before we do that yeah like let's fo- let's use the power of the unions to fight for the ability to strike for other reasons other than just an internal dispute in your trade at the moment it is illegal for say like you know the the workers at a woolworths checkout to like strike for nurses at the same time it's it's something that you're not allowed to sort of do let's lock that down so over Overall, unions are better off, and then we can work on breaking up one of the only powerful unions in the fucking country. So it's a little bit of divide and conquer. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. It is definitely, as you said, Mitch, it's the motivations are what should make you suspect and who is actually pushing it. Um, You know, they they might give you lots of reasons for it to be good now, but um, like, and what I I meant before in terms of like, I don't like – the idea of legislation uh, running unions because unions should be completely separate from government. There's no, like, you know, the legislation should be not mandating, like, you know, whether a union can separate or join up or whatever. Uh, that should be something that is wholly independent of the government. Um, so I, I'm viewing this with a lot of suspicion. Um, like while they are, you know, while even Labor's spruiking the benefits, um, especially in terms of like, you know, how unions can then be like autonomous. I, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't pass the sniff test. If, okay. if you've learned anything about, if you've learned anything from this episode, it's that Labor spruiking for something should tell you it's real bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's the takeaway. I mean, the fact that Labor spruiks for something nowadays is a surprise <laughs> for me. Yeah. There are some positives in this bill, though, sort of. Um, they're trying to make wage theft a criminal offence, finally, um, with some massive fines and even uh, potentially prison time for um, employers that l- literally steal wages from their workers. Um, but the consequences are going to be limited to wage thieves who do it on purpose. Okay. So- the and that you have to prove that. Yeah, so you have to like you have to prove that it was a concerted effort to keep your wages stolen from you, as opposed uh, like like proving criminal intent when, uh, is really hard to do. That's why we have lawyers and shit. But the uh, idea is like, oh, if you just accidentally or if you just ignorantly fail to pay your workers the minimum they deserve. Oh, well, that's that's okay. But see, Look, please don't do it again. Here's the thing, it's though. complicated. The, the thing, though, is that this already happens and like the the yeah. the, the use of the use of word the use of wording here is what really gets me. They use the term egregious wage theft, which really <laughs> Is like, and I can say that from a legal perspective, could really mean anything and could be implemented anyway. Like, it's clear, like, any application of like that criminal penalty would be pretty rare. Like, they, like, mm. so here's the specific uh, statement from the bill it says the offense would apply where a national system employer dishonestly engages in a deliberate systematic pattern of underpaying one or more of their employees. So it wouldn't apply to like one off underpayments or like any. Mm-hmm inadvertent mistakes or like miscalculations it only applies to it seems obvious that they're doing this egregious wage theft but that's the thing though like every single time that any wage theft has been exposed in the last 10 years anytime like you know Woolworths or any other company has like been exposed for not paying workers uh adequately it's always Blamed on a systematic problem. Real tough, and, and it's it's always they've always said, "Oh, but it's really complicated." The thing that pisses me off here is that you wouldn't apply this to something like OH and S. Yes. If, if I mean, God knows they've poor, tried. God knows they've right, tried. Right. <laughs> but that's the thing: if you had poor safety guards on your equipment that killed people, um, the fines for that are the same 
whether you did it by neglect or whether you chose to do it, because people still die. If you have uh, people being underpaid for the work they do, those people are still being underpaid, whether or not you did it on purpose. You've got to, it's got to be the responsibility of the business to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, if you have laws in place that are supposed to, like, uh, encourage behaviour in a certain way, then if you're not making it a really big deal to accidentally underpay people, then you're not going to stop wage theft yeah. from happening. Because it's like, it, it, it is a thing of, like, you are stealing their wages if you accidentally fail to pay them. You're still profiting from that. Employers are implicitly incentivized to underpay their workers to make more profit. Yeah, I can just hear McLean in. I can hear my McLean in my head, like he always does when this comes up. It's like the problem of this also comes out of the fact that bosses want to pay their workers the yeah. bare minimum they have to. If you just paid them a bunch more than where where the risk factor is, you wouldn't have a problem. Yeah. But so much of this comes down to like I have to pay you the down to the last cent. Only what I have to. Oh no, it's a big complicated system. Just yeah. pay work as well, and they'll go kicking and screaming. Yeah, uh, it, it's and look, Sally McManus, to her credit, said that she welcomed laws that would address wage theft, uh, but she proposed that the bar that the government set was too high. So she said, mm. "Look, this is good, but it's still not good, though." And that's it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> cool. You're Thanks, in the Sally right. McManus. You're in the right area, but you've not done it right. Yeah. Look, she said the right things, which is she said, "Look, it's." pretty likely that no actual employer is ever going to be um, implicated under these kind of laws. Like there's better laws already existing in Queensland, Victoria and in the ACT and something like this done at the federal level would basically nullify those. Um, and, and it's true. Like, you know, there's there's already been like campaigns and like, you know, to do it on a state-by-state level, but something like this is just in, inadequate. Okay. You could even say it's not good enough. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not this way. Fuck. It's taken us 49 episodes and we finally said the title. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us at NotGoodPod on all the socials or send us an email at NotGoodPod at ProtonMail.com. We love hearing from everyone. We love all the sassy little pictures and the rude comments we get on Twitter. It's always good to laugh. Please send us more memes of Mitch. I love him. (laughs) Love it. Yum, 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 yum. Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.